So I'd like to speak about the heavenly messengers tonight, the teaching of the heavenly messengers. The origin of this teaching comes from the Buddha's life, the story of the Buddha's life. As most of you know, the Buddha was born a prince. He was uh, the son of a king. And when he was born, it was predicted that he would either become a great king, a great monarch, or a great sage. He could go either way. Now, his father wanted him to follow in his footsteps, as is often the case with parents. And so he tried to create and then to maintain certain conditions that would entice him to become a great king. In his earlier years, in the Buddha's earlier years, his father tried to give him everything conceivable that might delight and interest him, keep him entertained, all delights that were possible. And he also tried very hard to keep that which was unpleasant away from him. And the Buddha lived this way until he was 29 years old. So he lived in a palace in which there were endless delights, this and that, that kind of delight, and as well in a situation in which he was enormously protected from the unpleasant, as, as best as his dad could do it. He was protected from the unpleasant, from the difficult, from discomfort. However, when the Buddha became 29 years of age, he decided that he wanted to go out of the palace gates and explore a bit and find out a young man, find out a little bit more about the world at large. He began to see things a little bit differently where he was in the palace, and he wanted to see really what was up outside of the palace doors And so he decided to leave the palace on a day trip to explore the city. You know, he wasn't going to be gone forever. He just wanted to take a little journey and find out what was going on. Now, given that the king was the king, he had control not over just the conditions within the palace walls, you know, which he did have a lot of control over, but he also had a great deal of say-so over the conditions in the city that the Buddha was going into. So, of course, you know, the king obviously had some control issues. The king (laughs) tried to make the city the same as the palace. He tried to, he had flowers planted all over the place. It's kind of when the Olympics come or when there's a, you know, a, a convention in town. Flowers planted all over the place, and he ordered the roads to be paved, and he ordered everyone that looked like they were overtly suffering to, and it does sound a bit like what we've read about, huh? Everyone suffering to be hidden away. However, the Buddha's calling won out. Despite all the efforts of his dad, the Buddha's calling one out. And this is why we even have this story 
of the Buddha's life and certainly the Buddha's teachings. Because as he began to go out and he had a driver with him, as he began to ride through the city, even though the king had done his best in terms of the um, encouraging the pleasant to be seen and visible and really trying to get rid of the unpleasant and the difficult, the Buddha's calling was too strong. And what happened is that the Buddha met the heavenly messengers. The heavenly messengers appeared to him. First of all, he came upon someone who was sick. Second of all, he came upon someone who was very old. And then third of all, he came upon a corpse. He came upon someone who was dead. Now, it does stretch the imagination to think that this was the first time that the Buddha had seen all this. And this is why this is a bit of a myth, because it's not possible in 29 years of life to not see anyone who is old or, or sick and it's not possible for no one around you to die. But what this means is that he really saw it. He had, didn't have the protection of his family to shield him. He saw this very clearly for the first time, and he was shocked. He was deeply shocked. He was in contact with the realities of life that he had been shielded from. And so he questioned his driver. You know, he said... Is it just this person who is sick, who is, is dead, who is older? You know, or are all beings subject to sickness, old age, and to death? And of course, his driver had to say yes. All beings, including you, oh Buddha, wasn't the Buddha yet, <laughs> but including you are, going, are subject to getting sick, to getting old, and eventually to dying and then, in continuing further, with this shocked heart and yet open heart in a way he had never been before because he had been so shielded that his heart was not very open. So in the shock of seeing the realities of life, the openness of heart, and then he saw a fourth messenger, a fourth messenger appear to him. And this fourth messenger was a radiant renunciate a being walking through the streets who looked luminous and radiant. The heavenly messengers are sent to awaken. As I said before, even if the Buddha stayed in the palace, he would have seen the first three heavenly messengers. However, he would not have seen the fourth because he needed to leave his comfort zone in order to see both the realities of life as well as a way to transmute those realities into liberation. The Pali for heavenly messenger is Deva Dutta. And Deva means heavenly, Dutta means messenger. So these devadutas, or heavenly messengers, tap us on the shoulder, or as you may have noticed, they sometimes hit us over the head. But what their function is, 
The function of the heavenly messengers is to wake us up. The heavenly messengers are not seen as that which needs to be feared or avoided, but that which has the potential to wake us up out of illusion, out of delusion, out of confusion and fogginess, out of our habits and our patterns and our ways of being complacent. There is a Tibetan prayer that says, Grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and suffering on this journey, so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. Grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and suffering on this journey, so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. In our lives, there are always invitations to see. We can learn from the most unfair, painful, terrible situations. Just as there are endless examples of those who have been beaten down by these circumstances in their lives, there are as many examples of inspiration for us in this life as well. The heavenly messengers are anything or anyone, any situation that we find ourselves in, anyone we come in contact with that wakes us up. They are what wake us up. And there are endless examples of this, endless examples. Certainly, the first three, the realities of life, the traditional way of speaking about it, someone who is sick, someone who is dead, and someone who is older. But all of us experience heavenly messengers, each of us in our own way. You know, When there is impending loss, when we've lost someone close to us, when our bodies ache in some way, when something very difficult is happening in our life, when there's miscommunication with a great friend, when we get irritated by someone cutting us off in traffic. So it goes from really big events in our life, what we, what we think of as very big, difficult situations in our life, to the most mundane and ordinary situations in our life. The heavenly messengers cover them all. The heavenly messengers call us out of our world of preoccupation. Now, that's their function, is to call us out of our internal, personal world of preoccupation. And they invite us to ask, what is important? What really matters? I want to read you kind of an answer to this by Naomi Nye Shahib. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness, how you ride and ride, 
thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel with the Indian in a white poncho, lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. For the Buddha, the fourth messenger really mattered. It's not as if the first three messengers didn't matter, but he really grasped very quickly enough to radically change his life and make him leave the palace forever, leave his comfort zone forever, because he saw the significance of the fourth heavenly messenger, the radiant being. He saw someone who had dedicated their life to discovering inner freedom. This led the Buddha to dedicate his life to the alleviation of suffering. In this way, the Buddha became a messenger. The Buddha became a heavenly messenger devoted to waking up and devoted to helping others wake up. And this can be our path as well. The first three heavenly messengers is how things are. It kind of expresses or signifies the world of a conditioned. It's conditioned phenomena. And the fourth heavenly messengers, you could say, is how things really are. So from the conditioned to the unconditioned, The unconditioned meaning the liberated heart, which we don't see or can't see when all we see is the conditioned. If we simply try to convince ourselves without opening and acknowledging and facing the realities of life, how things are, it's not going to be deep enough or transformative enough. We're still going to only understand things on a certain level, a superficial level. It's not enough to deeply transform our lives. Instead of pushing away or pretending or denying that things aren't so, our practice is to accept and to welcome the taps of the heavenly messengers. This is a poem by Donna Feltz 
called allow. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist, and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in, the wild with the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. You know, this is exactly what the Buddha did in letting the truth in, the world being revealed in a different way. And then the significance of this over the last 2,500 years. So here we are sitting here, yeah, being touched by the truth of things. The first three Heavenly messengers are all inevitable. You know, they're normal, they're natural, they're nature. There's no one to fault, even ourselves. So often, when we come in contact with difficulties of any sort, it disconnects, and we feel alienated and more alone sometimes than we ever have before. We can be like a walking heavenly messenger when we're going through a difficult time physically or emotionally. And there certainly is that phrase, shooting the messenger, which when we are a walking heavenly messenger, sometimes we sense that distancing. There's a sense of being distanced from everyone else instead of connected to everyone else. There is a fear of the realities of life, of how things are. You know, kind of that sense of this will be you someday. This could happen to me. I saw this happen with my mother all the time as she was getting older. She was very, very short. My father accused her of lying about how tall she was when they first got married (laughs) because she shrunk a number of inches as they got older together. But I could see how people stopped looking at her. She had incredibly, in my biased opinion, beautiful eyes, huge, beautiful eyes, sparkling and and beautiful eyes. And people would stop looking at her. They would talk to me, and as if she couldn't talk or couldn't speak or you know, had, had lost her intelligence or, or liveliness when she was extraordinarily lively being. You know? And I, I felt that people, first of all, they didn't really see her, but also I felt that there was some kind of apprehension or fear going on as well. Physical and emotional difficulties are common to all of us, as sometimes we know. Kurt Scharfenberg, the late editor of the Globe editorial page, 
said that when he received his terminal cancer diagnosis, the bird of mortality in that instant settled on his shoulder and never left. That bird, he said, sang of the fragility of everything human. It was there to remind him of what binds every human to every other. So instead of the disconnection and the sense of alienation and the loneliness, we can see that which is conditioned as binding us together, as actually connecting us, that which actually makes us similar to one another instead of different from one another. So the heavenly messengers are reminders of impermanence, calling us back to awareness here and now. Over and over again, in their many different forms, saying, don't be preoccupied. Pay attention. Apply wise effort and turn towards the here and now exactly as it is. Turning towards the here and now, being, bearing with things as they are, doesn't mean getting caught in concepts and thoughts about how things are. I'd like to read you something short from a woman named Eddie Hillisum, who wrote a book called A Life Interrupted, The Diaries of Eddie Hillison. She died in Auschwitz in 1943 when she was in her early 30s. And before she died, she left um, a diary, which was really a diary of her inner journey. You know, there's some about the external situation she was in, but it's, it's very much a diary of her, her inner journey from um, suffering to seeing things quite differently, or else she never could have written what she wrote. So this is something she said about this. People suffer most through their fears of suffering, but the idea of suffering which is not the reality for real suffering, is always fruitful and can turn life into a precious thing, must be destroyed. If you destroy the ideas behind which life lies imprisoned as behind bars, then you liberate your true life, its real mainsprings, and then you will also have the strength to bear real suffering, your own and the world's. The awareness of the first three heavenly messengers inform our inquiries into how things are. They really encourage us to go beyond appearances, to look and to investigate more deeply. The heavenly messengers, if we we relate to them as heavenly messengers, give the energy needed to practice. They challenge us. And they help us become ever more aware of the preciousness of the now. And of course, we oftentimes cannot see them as heavenly. The messenger part we get, the heavenly part we don't. I have a very dear friend when we were in our early 20s. She was going through a lot of difficulties and I was very young, too. You have to remember this when I tell you this story. (laughs) 
But she would tell me about her difficulties, and I just had a certain take on life at that point. So whatever she would tell me, I would respond by saying, great. You know, she would tell me something really difficult. I'd say, great. You know, and I forgot this. And years later, just a very short time ago, she reminded me of this stage. You know, to my chagrin, I shuddered when I heard this, of course. And to her credit, she expressed a fondness for the way I responded at that time. Because for her, of course, it was very difficult. But when I would say that she would, in that moment, and you know, this is definitely her and not me, it would turn around for her. And she could see it in a really different light. And I think it just spoke to um, an openness there where there was enough trust and love and openness in her heart that uh, she could really relate to it differently. She didn't ask me to, you know, do it now. (laughs) But she really was seeing if she could relate to her difficulties as heavenly. The fourth heavenly messenger is called a samana, which means a human being with spiritual realizations. So the first three wake us up, And the fourth offers a path to inner radiance and to inner freedom. This path of awakening, which offers us another way of relating to the difficulties in life. Meditation is that path. Meditation helps us to find inner freedom. It helps us to find the treasures in our heart unaffected by the body unaffected by conditions. The fourth heavenly messenger signals the possibility of peace of mind in the midst of the difficult. In difficult situations, the mind generally is conditioned to fasten onto whatever comes along. It latches onto, and then it gets carried away. Our practice is to not let the mind fasten on to unwholesome thoughts and emotions, to not dwell in that which produces misery, to not nurture or feed that which is going to produce an even greater degree of misery, so to avoid compounding or suffering. As we practice, we grow skilled in how we can use our practice to be with our life. Wisdom is, a definition of wisdom is knowing what to encourage within us and what needs to be let go of. Now, This is a very um, clear definition of wisdom, knowing what needs to be encouraged and what needs to be let go of and using wisdom and compassion as our guides. I have a, um, I guess I would call him a friend, Maha Gusananda. Is, um, he's known as the Grand Patriarch of Cambodia, and he actually has a card printed up that says Grand Patriarch of Cambodia. <laughs> but he's a very, um, I've always has just found him enormously endearing from the very first time that I met him. 
when I was teaching at CIMC um, a long time ago, maybe 18 years ago. I was a very young teacher. And I was teaching a drop-in class in the basement there. And all of a sudden, he dropped in. (laughs) People were quite, um, what would be the word? Uh, He looked odd because he's a monk. Um, He tended even then to wear his robes in an unusual and eccentric way. But also just simply to see a monk there um, in the basement of CMC, just sitting like everyone else. Um, was quite an unusual thing. Sometimes in this tradition, monks like to be a little bit higher. And this was not so for him at all. He was sitting lower than me, actually, because I had a a mat that I was on. So this impressed me, too. And he just started to ask me questions. But... (laughs) But the amazing thing about it was, that was amazing that he asked me questions, but what was truly amazing about him is that he seemed like he really wanted to know. You know, he wasn't asking me to test me. You know, he wasn't asking me so I could say something and then he could shoot it down with some discourse of the Buddha that I'd never heard of, that I probably should have. You know, it wasn't that kind of thing happening at all. It was just this very friendly wanting to know what I thought about things, and it was quite endearing to me. Anyway, he is someone who travels a lot, or did travel a lot. Um, His whole family was killed in Cambodia, and yet he is this extraordinary, as you might just even know from the story I just told you, this extraordinarily happy human being. Of course, right after his family died, there was an enormous amount of healing that he went through. It wasn't magic or anything like that. But he really took up the path with enormous devotion and is a delightful being to be around. So he travels a lot. I bumped into him in the airport in Tokyo once, and he, has, uh, he showed me off his passport, and it's like this fat. You know, the passport he had then is, was super fat with all the different places he had gone. It's almost like he goes one place for a day and then he goes to another country. But anyways, someone, people at one point wanted um, him to travel not by himself, but to have attendance. And actually, I have to say, when I saw him in Tokyo, um, he was with somebody, an attendant, who had just left, And then it was almost like, um, you know, I knew him, so I went over to help him. But if I wasn't there, I don't know what would have happened. I'm sure somebody else would have recognized him in the airport in Tokyo and helped him out in some way. But so people wanted him to have help so that he wasn't just roaming around the world by himself. And he refused. He said, my attendants are wisdom and compassion. This is all I need. So can our attendance in life, can our great help in life be the allies of wisdom and compassion? The fourth heavenly messenger points to how things really are, which means the heart free from its torments. Christina 
was speaking about the mind and the activities of the mind, differentiating between the two, the same is true. It's the same teaching, the heart, as differentiated from the torments of heart. Seeing the liberated heart, knowing the liberated heart for ourselves by letting go of conditioned states of mind. In seeing through, in allowing the conditioned states of mind to dissolve, we are left with an inner sense of radiance. We are left with a buoyancy, a flexibility. We can touch the measureless. Something again by Eddie Hillisum that she wrote when she was in the concentration camp. She wrote, you know, if you don't have the inner strength while you're here to understand that all outer appearances are a passing show as nothing beside this great splendor inside us, then things can look very bleak here indeed. I'll read it just one more time. You know, if you don't have the inner strength while you're here to understand that all outer appearances are a passing show, as nothing beside the great splendor inside us, then things can look very bleak here indeed. So, of course, she was talking about being in a concentration camp. But I think when I hear the here, I'm sure she meant in the world at large as well. Things can look really bleak indeed if we don't know the fourth heavenly messenger. The heavenly messengers, the taps, are whatever upset and provoke us. And there are not just three of them or four of them. There are 10,000 of them, probably times 10,000. Know, there are the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. It's whenever resistance is occurring, a heavenly messenger is there as well. Whenever we want something to be other than how it is, whenever we want something to last longer or to go away more quickly, in other words, every few moments, right? <laughs> yeah? Every few moments or every few minutes, a heavenly messenger is happening. The problem is that we always want somebody else's messenger. We're not okay with our own. And we think that the next person over's messenger is better than ours. And if we had that situation, then we would be able to practice. And it's so funny how our minds work. I mean, in ordinary times, we actually think that if we had a really difficult situation to work with, then... You know, we'd be up to it. We would be able to practice. You know, we would be able to to get it together if things were really difficult. Whereas when we're driving in a car and somebody cuts us off, we don't honor and respect that kind of situation. We think that it's really not all that important and that we don't really need to get it together in the smaller situations in life. And then in the very difficult times, we think, well, if it weren't so difficult... You know, if life were a little bit more ordinary, then I could really practice you know, the way that I really want to. And the trick of the heavenly messengers is whether we're in very difficult and strong situations or 
when we're in utterly ordinary and mundane situations, this every few minutes thing that I was speaking about, if we can relate to all of it as messages to wake up with, it's a totally different practice. If every time there is difficulty or discomfort or irritation or boredom or anything whatsoever that we don't like happening, anytime there is a situation or condition or a difficulty with a friend or a difficulty with a, a difficult person in our life, you know, all of these situations being ways to wake up. And if we can relate to it in this way, it's different. Because then we are using our life to, to wake up with. The practice is to be with what is right in front of us. Because what is right in front of us is it. Is exactly it. Our life is not separate from practice. Our life is our practice. And it's all material for liberation. If we can relate to it in that way. Always this is it. Embracing the conditions of our lives as the perfect conditions for awakening. And I'll just end with a poem by Stanley Kunitz. I have walked through many lives, some of them my own, and I am not who I was, though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? In a rising wind, the manic dust of my friends, those who fell along the way, bitterly stings my face. Yet I turn, I turn, exulting somewhat, with my will intact to go wherever I need to go and every stone on the road precious to me. So let's just sit for a moment or two. I have walked through many lives, some of them my own, and I am not who I was, though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses in a rising wind, the manic dust of my friends, those who fell along the way bitterly stings my face, Yet I turn, I turn, exulting somewhat, with my will intact to go wherever I need to go, and every stone on the road precious to me. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have deep comfort of heart. May all beings trust in wisdom and in kindness.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.